You're about to hear my conversation with our investment strategist, Brent Joyce. We talk all about the Russia-Ukraine situation, what that might mean for oil, and what those oil prices in turn may mean for inflation, as well as the current health of the economy. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our investment strategist, Brent Joyce. Brent, uh, as we sit here on February 23rd, the most topical uh, story is the Russian and Ukraine situation. Uh, as I said, we are on February 23rd. Uh, the state of play right now is that there seems as though Russia has sent in, I'll call them peacekeepers, or that's what they're referring to as peacekeepers uh, in some of the uh, provinces that have separatist movements uh, to Russia. I'd love to get your latest reaction on both the situation and, and market reaction more specifically. Um, what are you uh, seeing from markets and what are you expecting to see from them? Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here again with you. For sure, the headlines are dominated by uh, Russia's um, physical incursion into the Ukraine after what has been many weeks of speculation. Uh, it appears that uh, Vladimir Putin uh, kept his promise to the Chinese and waited till after the Olympics, but he didn't wait very long uh, in order to uh, to heat things up. I have in conversations with some other portfolio managers here, you know, we've all been a little surprised at the lack of panic in uh, financial markets, which is a good thing. If if one of the goals here on the part of the Russians is to um, just disrupt the world and, and saber rattle and get some attention, the fact that uh, capital markets at least aren't... Um, aren't going haywire. I mean, we've got weakness for sure. A lot of what we have landed on in our conversations is the fact that the existing trends that we have been watching for ever since really the middle of November, I call it uh, the uh, U.S. Thanksgiving pivot by the Federal Reserve, a number of those you know, continue to be intact. So growth right. versus value, um, yields certainly trying to head higher. The, um, you know, rising oil prices is, is not uh, a new story. It's not just the Russia-Ukraine story. And we've seen some spikes in certain areas. And certainly the areas that um, Russia has a large footprint in, in the commodity markets. Oil, we'll talk about it in some detail, I'm sure. But um, wheat and corn, uh, aluminum, these are other areas where Russia and Ukraine combined are, are large exporters. And so we have to ask ourselves the impossible question, you know, it's um, what lurks in the, in the minds of men. No one knows, right? But um, <laughs> sure. there's, uh, there's two scenarios, I guess. This escalates in a hot scenario, um, you know, in the, in the Ukraine. And or the notion that this drags on with uh, with sanctions uh, for an extended period of time. Great. Um, so and it sounds like markets right now are sort of leaning towards the uh, the first conclusion uh, with the significant escalation and significant sanctions. Um, and maybe this, that's that's my question. Would you expect more of a market reaction if those sanctions do bite uh, in any meaningful way? 
Yeah, it's going to be as the story unfolds, it appears. So right. a knee-jerk reaction, which which if this was a surprise, but you know, it's been talked about for, for many, many weeks at least. So the surprise element is not there. And that's um, you know, somewhat explains why markets are reacting the way that they are. You know, it was enough to tip the S and P 500 into a full blown correction territory uh, on Monday the 20 sorry Tuesday the 22nd, right. where we did close finally below a 10 percent draw. Now, first time since the lows of the pandemic that that has happened, but that's been something that's been you know the S and P 500 has been weak for many many uh, weeks now. And on an intraday basis, we breached the minus 10, couldn't close there. And so that happened. But again, that, that is not a surprise. It's, in fact, you know, aside from the, the social and uh, humanitarian impact of, of, of a conflict, you know, the S&P 500 needed to test that correction level sure. um, on any given reason. And this is certainly a catalyst for it to do that. Great. Uh, maybe maybe move to oil, uh, where there's a little bit of a perhaps a more direct impact. Russia being such a large oil exporter, um, and uh, certainly commentators have suggested that if uh, escalation does happen, that could be uh, put pressure on oil prices to go up. Uh, what's your view on oil in general? Where do you think it's headed, and, and how do you think it'll react? Yeah, surprising that the spike over $100 lasted um, just a few minutes uh, on the tape here for oil prices. Brent crude has widened out a little bit from, from North American benchmarks to West, West Texas. But we're in the, you know, the $90 range. Hmm. And the actual um, incursion and, and troops uh, moving uh, over the border, uh, which appears to be the case, has not sent oil up, you know, $15 and $20 and $25, which could have been... Um, unexpected response. We're still in an environment where demand is recovering. And so that's upward pressure on oil prices. Right. But there is plenty of supply out there. When we look at um, U.S. production, there's lots of room for that to step up. Mixed reports. The Wall Street Journal had two separate articles in, an, in a matter of a couple of days. One saying producers aren't going to be ramping up production, whether it was 150 or $200 oil. Right. And another one saying that the rig count is moving higher and, and production is increasing. Um, and it's interesting that you tease those two pieces and say, well, which is it, right? And it's actually both. The large publicly traded producers um, having their feet held to the fire, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, are talking capital discipline and the increase in their production in the, you know, the low single digit range. But there is a large contingent of the U.S. Um, uh, shale market that is mom and pop players and small right. uh, operators. And they, they're making hay while the sun shines or, or getting while the getting's good uh, on these prices. They know the, the boom bust cycle. We follow the data and the money. Um, the rig count is increasing. U.S. oil production is increasing. And so I think this has medium term. And we do, not, as investors, need to remain focused on our medium and, and I would suggest long-term goals sure. whenever we have these kinds of very high emotion impact, uh, difficult to, uh, to predict events that, that come out of, out of um, the sky sometimes. And so on a medium-term basis, we're not in a position where we have um, a pinch for, for oil supplies. Near-term, we're at tank bottoms in, in U.S. inventories. So inventories are as low as they've been um, since 2018. But interestingly, the U.S. 
oil inventory environment, and we're not talking about the strategic petroleum reserves here right. that the U.S. government owns. That's another tool that could come into play here. And they've been very open about um, the potential use of that. You know, they were going to use it when there wasn't a conflict. And so certainly it's the type of thing that should be used when there is a conflict. But aside sure. from that, U.S. oil inventories, again, the, the headline says, yes, they're low. And yeah, they are low in the post-financial crisis environment. But there was a big step up when shale production really ramped up in the um, you know, 2010, 11, 12 period, right. uh, where we now have what we call so-called low oil inventories is is 70% higher than what used to be the normal for U.S. oil inventories. So I'm not certainly hitting any alarm buttons and oil prices isn't, aren't hitting the alarm button as we bounce around a couple of dollars here on you know, a pretty significant um, uh, events. For context, you think about Russia pumping 10, maybe 10 and a half million barrels a day. Uh, OPEC's at 28 and has should have room, certainly Saudi and UAE, big, big producers there to go up 4 million barrels or so. High prices are the best cure for high prices. It will see some demand erosion on the part of the consumer if we stay at high pump prices. They're certainly going to incent obviously the mom and pop players to go out and press the rigs into production. Um, it does bring into consideration the Iran story right. and whether the the president of the United States, who knows that his approval ratings are hypersensitive to inflation and inflation is hypersensitive in the near term, and we're talking expectations here, um, to energy prices and, and pump prices. It is not lost on me at least, that this is all happening in an environment where uh, the midterm elections are going to start to ramp up the rhetoric as we move forward. And so if you're Putin and you want to you know, garner attention or um, rabble rouse, then an environment where the U.S. has still got a lot of domestic headlines to deal with, the, the January uh uh, assault on the Capitol hearings and certainly a lot of um, domestic issues there. There is, had been rumor that you know NATO was seeing some cracks. One of the positives from this is it appears that the response on the part of uh, Western allies, particularly NATO, has been quite strong sure. and robust and solid. And the sanctions are very different than Crimea. Um, and that's an interesting corollary to look at from market reactions. You know, when we think about medium to long-term goals for investors and staying focused on those, regardless of the crisis, capital markets have seen this kind of movie many, many times. Right. Impacting Crimea for the S&P 500 was peak to trough in that span, less than 6% decline. You know, we're down 10.5% here, 10 and a third percent yesterday uh, at its worst. Markets are rebounding a bit today. Um, these are normal run-of-the-mill type of moves for equity markets in the short term, nothing that should panic longer-term investors. To recover that minus six back in, in 2014 Crimea, it took less than a month. Right. Other examples going further back in history, Desert Storm and uh, Iraq invasion in 2003. These were, you know, minus 17, close to minus 20 bear market type events. Uh, but that's where you had the U.S. much more physically engaged, boots on the ground. Right. There's a clear um, narrative from the White House that that's not the case this time. They are going to assist financially and assist with sanctions. And that may have more 
longer term impacts than the Crimea sanctions. These sanctions are tougher. There are more that can be brought to bear. And we certainly know that oil prices and inflation, you know, sit at, at, uh, at tight levels in the very near term. And some of that response, either whether it's from Saudi or UAE, complicated by the fact that they're all in bed together with the OPEC plus sure. um, cartel. But thankfully, we're in a very different environment for U.S. oil production domestically and North American oil production. We can throw the Mexicans and, and us in to that mix as well. So I would I would peg the reaction in capital markets in between those two. You know, it's, it's clearly okay. worse than the minus six, perhaps, but not not necessarily going to need to be a minus uh, 17, 18 type type response. Great. Um so that was, was great commentary on oil. Obviously, oil prices are a feeder into inflation. Um, it, and you mentioned midterms coming up and, and the, the political sensitivity around inflation. Um, you know, one thing that has been in the headlines for consistently since that November pivot has been higher than normal inflation, supply chain issues, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, more recently, we've seen a very uh, strong reaction from Western uh, central bankers around the world. Love to get your view on where inflation stands now, what your expectations are, and if um, if oil, if there's any real impact from the Russia Crimea into uh, medium term inflation. Yeah, so inflation has come in hotter than many expected. I put myself in that camp, but not excessively so. You know, we were expecting a, a north of 7% print in the US. We were expecting a high four, right. if not low five print for headline inflation in Canada. And again, when we turn to our models and we turn to market-based analysis and try to stay away from emotional headlines and rhetoric, and we look at what's happening with inflation break-evens. Short-term break-even numbers have jumped. You know, two-year uh, break-even inflation numbers are three, high threes, 3.8. And that, that has moved up 70 basis points, 60 basis points since those numbers came out uh, for the U.S. a couple of weeks ago. Medium-term, so five-year inflation figures have only nudged up slightly okay. and sit at just around 3%. And then importantly, the long-term inflation expectations are sitting at 2.5%. And that's both those five and 10-year numbers are down from peaks um, you know, in around October. Hmm. And this is, this is um, really the bond market and the futures market signaling that back in September, October, they were more concerned that the Fed was asleep at the wheel and wasn't going to be hiking rates. And so that's where your longer term expectations start to drift higher. And the fact that they're um, up a little bit, but still lower than those those fall levels of last year now is a testament that the bond market believes the Fed will get this under control and will take the steps necessary. And certainly the rhetoric that has come out of the Fed, they have they have talked very aggressively in the last couple of months, there you would expect the markets to believe them. For us as investors, and, and the other side of that coin is, is the equity market and the broader Main Street economy, is this question of does inflation run hot long enough for the central banks to have to be aggressive enough that we slow the economy uh, dramatically and then there's you know the prospect of does that push us into a recession? I still continue to believe that that is a outlier scenario. Okay, central banks 
have time here to like we, the economy can, is, is high time for 50, 100, 125 basis points of hikes. Um, that is not what's going to get us into trouble, right? Some of that could be the speed. And this talk around 50 basis points is quickly melting away, not just because Russia, Ukraine, it was melting away on the Fed minutes and, and, uh, and other, right. uh, other indicators. So no reason for the sledgehammer. And how does all this relate back to oil and to Russia, Ukraine is, is your question. And I'm sure the question on many people's minds. Central bankers do think about inflation in its segments. I am more concerned about wage growth. I'm more concerned about rental inflation than I am about oil. The oil market, as I said, the metrics aren't as dangerous as um, as the media might have you believe. And so spiking to 125 or 140 is not something that I envision. We had a forecast that was around the low $80 range uh, when we put our forecast out in December. And we're still comfortable with that. We've looked, we went back and, and asked ourselves, do we need to adjust this and, and Russia, Ukraine, et cetera? And, f- you know, for the time being, we don't believe that we need to be even bumping that 10 bucks and saying, well, we think it's going to be in the mid 90s where we sit today. Right. There's got to be 10 to $15 of geopolitical premium in here. Sure. And that can evaporate, you know, rather quickly. The other thing to think about is sanctions on oil just means those countries aren't going to be purchasing oil from. Russia and we've saw we've seen this with Iran, yeah, right? Right. Um, Russia can certainly pivot and sell to other actors uh, around the globe who um, who aren't going to pursue sanctions, and so it's about the net supply. Maybe supply has to shift and go in a bit of a different direction, but um, uh, but it's not it's not a drought. And so when we think about central banks' reaction function, they can separate energy friction out. And so if we have a period, so, so let's say oil does go to, to 100 and something. Uh, I think it's very easy for central bankers who are hopefully, even under those conditions, going to be seeing inflation start to come off the boil in the next three to six months. The override and gravitational pull because of base effects, and in the U.S. they're very stark. It's a staircase that, that we've just started to climb on base effects, right. is for inflation to start to cool off. The pressure cooker that we are in on inflation in the media, on inflation politicians railing about it and dragging uh, Fed officials in, in front of them. Well, not dragging. Those Fed officials at the moment have to show up because they're in front of confirmation hearings. So, right. you know, the timing is, is is unfortunate for that. All of that's going to be in a different environment five months from now, maybe as soon as three months from now, certainly by summertime, late summer, that inflation isn't going from three to four to five to six to seven, like it has over the past six months, right. we should be seeing it go from seven to six and a half to six to five to five and a half, et cetera. It may not come back down as quickly as as it went up. But just the fact that it's not getting worse should take a bit of this off the boil. And that will give flexibility. We'll, we'll know a whole pile more about Russia, Ukraine, obviously in, in the days and weeks to come, sure. let alone the months to come. Um, and so that environment, central bankers, they would have started to tighten. They do not have time, unless they're going to start tightening by some crazy numbers, which nobody's talking about. But if they do even 150, uh, like one half point move, make sure we don't mix our numbers up. And then they do another quarter point move. We put 75 basis points of tightening in and and we're three months from now or four months from now. We've got 100 basis points of tightening in. That's unpleasant, but it's not a shock. And, And the more they do, the less they have to do later. So it's where do we land this time 
uh, next year. But even where do we land sort of uh, November-ish of this year? And the six and seven hikes for 2022 that are still baked into market pricing down from, well, in Canada, it's down from over eight hikes this year, right, that uh, were expected a couple of weeks ago. So we're already seeing the market say, oh, getting a little ahead of ourselves. I still think those are well above where we're actually going actually going to land. Um, and it, it'll be the appropriate tightening. It's high time for us to get off these emergency um, uh, situations for monetary policy, and central banks will do that. But I don't think they're they're keen to slam on the brakes, and I think the data will give them some breathing room to not have to slam on the brakes, even if they tap them a little hard in the first quarter uh, ahead of us here. They can um, they can be a little gentler in the back half, and even that I don't think they're going to. Right. I think it's going to be gentle and steady through the year. Great. Um, maybe uh, we could wrap things up by just talking about the most recent. The other part of the inflationary story is, of course, the the health of the consumer, the health of the economy, manufacturing, all that sort of stuff. Um, where do you see that? Where do you see that uh, being right now? And, uh, you know, maybe talking about rate hikes, how easily can uh, the economy handle the rate hikes? You've already alluded to it, but let's talk a little bit about the economic data and the current state of affairs. Yeah, so purchasing manager indices uh, continue to wobble around a little bit, but they're at very high levels. So the underlying economic activity that's out there continues to be very solid. Demand still is the bigger story versus the supply chain issues in my mind. And you only need look at U.S. retail sales uh, and the most latest print and how that has re-accelerated. When there is an opportunity for folks to go out and spend money, they're going to go out and spend money. We're seeing a shift away from goods consumption, mm-hmm. hard objects, right. over to services consumption. All of this narrative remains intact. That should help on the inflation front a little bit. Uh, given that the inflation has has been driven, energy for sure, but outside of that, it still has been a very much a, a goods story, a hard objects story. Um, and that may just hand off to being a services story, and, and that's okay. The complexion of inflation, central banks do get into the weeds and, and ask, is this fomenting in an adjustment to long-term inflation expectations? And it's not at the moment. And so they'll be very comforted by that. So the demand story is excellent. And we're seeing that... Uh, translate into earnings, which have taken a, a back seat, I suppose, uh, uh, disappointingly so, because that's the fundamentals we want to pay attention to. But uh, corporate earnings uh, that were certainly past the three-quarter mark in U.S. reporting in Canada, we've got uh, some some additional to come through because the banks uh, rounded out at the very tail end. But they've been very solid. Earnings expectations for this year and next year have moved up uh, a nudge or two. Uh, profit margins, where there has been talk of, is that some of the cushion that uh, is going to have to to sop up the price uh, right. frictions, whether it's from labor costs or supply chain issues or, or commodity inputs, etc. Uh, very little little evidence that that is happening yet. Profit margins are exceptionally high, so you could argue there is some room for that to mop up a little bit of these concerns, and they haven't had to as of yet. These are stories that are either not in the front section or they're on page 15 now because everything's being dominated by Russia, Ukraine and inflation and and the Fed, is it going to be 50, is it going to be 25? But quietly in the background, 
despite the fact that markets have, have corrected in the U.S., um, which was the most expensive market. So that theme remains intact. We've seen those who had flown too close to the sun, right, have, have been burned. Uh, Canada, cheaper market, has uh, has outperformed and continues to do so. Energy, obviously, is a story embedded in that, which we felt, aside from Russia and Ukraine, had legs through this year. So the backdrop remains intact. When we go back to the tenets of our outlook for 2022, it remains very much our base case scenario of a robust demand environment. Corporations put their pants on uh, one leg at a time, go out and fix these supply chains. Uh, it's a, a very, very robust backdrop. Yields head higher, but not to the point where it squelches uh, you know, the economy. Uh, inflation is, is an issue that we need to deal with and it will work its way through. Maybe hotter and longer, but that's not a wage price spiral. It's not a stagflation argument. None of those things are, are, are items that have, have us any more concern today than they did three months ago. And they continue to be our tail scenarios as opposed to our base case scenario. Brent, that's excellent. Why don't we stop it there on a, what I'll call a fairly optimistic note. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and walking through what is a fairly complex uh, time uh, right now and, and certainly helping us get past the headlines of fear and uh, inflation and the like to, to a more stable spot. So thank you very much, Brad. My pleasure. We're certainly spending a lot more time uh, keeping up to date on, on a very fluid situation. So it is busy. I'm sure. Right. It is complex, but um, uh, there's, there certainly are opportunities still there. Great. Thanks so much. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 